Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is Episode 3 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we had the opportunity to sit down with a mother who was fiercely dedicated to finding answers for her daughter's mental health afflictions and turned her answer-seeking journey into a nationally recognized nonprofit and an award-winning documentary filmmaking organization. Lisa Sabi is the president of Parents to Parents, a nonprofit that collaborates with top scientists and science-based organizations to create film documentaries about effective mental health care, preventative care, and creating mental well-being from birth on. Lisa's current work is American Tragedy, a feature-length documentary about our country's crisis in mental health, suicide, violence, and the scientific studies that may help society's foundation, the family. This film uniquely follows the story of various survivors of unthinkable tragedies, researchers, journalists, parents, and advocates, and is focused on our nation's efforts to solve the issues of mental health. Prior to producing American Tragedy, Lisa and her team produced Going Sane, which depicts a series of cracks in our mental health care system that makes it very difficult for parents to find mental health care for their children. Toward the end of the podcast, Lisa shares how parents can get involved with her pioneering work to bring evidence-based mental well-being programs to our youngest community members. Before we dive into this very emotional and inspiring episode, I want to personally thank and celebrate Lisa's daughter for giving her mother the permission to share their very intimate family story of struggle, despair, heartbreak, and inspiring triumph and the immense love this family has for each other. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Lisa, welcome to Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst in downtown Denver. You, by the way, are the very first guest on our podcast that is being interviewed from this incredible studio. It is incredible. Pretty cool, isn't it? It is really cool. And what a warm welcome the Angel MD team had this morning uh, when we walked in, huh? It's wonderful. Yeah, it's great to be here today. So I knew when I was getting the house in order to launch this podcast that I had to have you on as a guest. Why, you you might ask? Well, I still remember when we first met here at Catalyst, this healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver, and I was literally taken back by your story and your passion to make our communities healthier. In fact, if you remember, I was tearing up throughout that first conversation that we've ever had. And... For our listeners to to rewind the clock a little bit, I was introduced to you initially by your husband. Yes. Where I had the fortunate opportunity to meet him at their company retreat in Dallas, Texas earlier this year where I was giving the keynote address. And I had no idea where this introduction was going to take us. 
but wow, am I glad that I accepted. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank We're so you. glad you're here. Um, now, before we get into the heart of the conversation today, Lisa, I want to take a quick moment to have a little bit of an icebreaker because I always love our listening community to be able to get to know you personally. Yes. So I got the three questions here, and you're going to randomly select one. Go ahead and grab a question. My favorite place. Okay. What you're going to do is you're going to... Uh, Share with the community the favorite place you've ever visited on the face of the planet and why. I think my favorite place was in Belize by on a beach at the sunset. My husband and I and two of our sons were there. We rode our bikes and stopped to see the sunset, and it was so glorious. And I just felt an awe for the world. How long ago was that? About five years ago. Did you get to go and, and, and scuba dive that big hole that everybody talks we about? We did. How was that? Oh, my goodness. It is so cool. I was a swimmer growing up, and okay. so I'm comfortable in water. But, oh, my goodness, all the, animal, all the animals, we saw a manatee unexpectedly, Whoa. and we got to jump in and be you know, 100 yards away. But it was huge and amazing. And they used to be called, they were considered like the mermaid. People thought they were like mermaids that uh, transformed into manatees. Anyway, it was fun and memorable and beautiful. Now, of course, I love to eat. Um, so some of the important questions about Belize. How was the food? The food was fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a lover of fish. And of course, fish is what you're going to eat a lot of. Uh, we had barracuda, which was fun. Um, it was most fun because we saw them take the barracuda after they had caught it and then fry it up. That was really fun. The food was fine. I didn't feel like the food was great because I've lived in Taiwan where I think the oh, food is so incredible. I, I was in Asia earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, you're in Japan. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, wow. So sunset it is in Belize. I'll put that on the list. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Lisa. So before we jump into current work, where you're at, where you're going, Let's rewind the clock. I know the audience has to hear this story of how you got to where you are today. I was just so taken back of your own family and personal journey. And I would love for you to share that a bit, which will then set the stage of, of what we're going to talk about, all the wonderful work you and, and your colleagues are up to today and, and where you're going to in the future. So take us back a bit. Well, it was about 12, actually 14 years ago. And, uh, well, I guess I had to go 40-some-odd years ago. I had anorexia when I was around 12. So when my daughter turned 12, I had Hawkeyes. Is she going to have anorexia like I did? And sure enough, she started not eating enough. She started losing weight. We would encourage her to eat, and her personality changed. We got her to the doctor after she had lost three pounds, hmm. which is quick. We got her to the best eating disorder unit in Colorado, and... Day after day, she got worse. Her personality changed. We didn't know how to interact with her. She was angry at us all the time. And we were seeing the top professionals, and we were doing the very best we could. We felt so confused. So then I started devouring every single book possible about anorexia, about eating disorders, about what we're supposed to do. And I was so confused because what the books were telling me should be happening was not happening at the place we had our daughter which was supposed to be the best place in Colorado. And I would shake my head and look at my husband and say, Mark, this makes no sense. Why is this book saying this is what is the best, most effective treatment for adolescent anorexia, and none of these things that they're saying should be happening are happening right now? And I was, I was angry, and I was confused. And, of course, my husband was, he was in, in a, what the Chinese say, a, a, a contradiction. It's like, okay, the professionals should know the most, but my 
wife is reading these books and is confusing. So there was tension in the marriage. And um, I, we eventually took our daughter out of the treatment center and just worked with, according to what I had learned and had her see a therapist every week. Well, when she was about 16, we had maintained her weight at a low weight and um, she became very suicidal. And the most horrific day of my life that I remember so far was when my son called me up and said, Mom, is my daughter with you? And I said, no, she's in her room. And David said, go get her. She just texted my friend that she's going to kill herself tonight. So we went into her room, and there she was crying on her bed, having written a suicide note. She had a bottle of Tylenol, and she really was going to take her life that night. I did not respond well. I responded with anger. Like, how in the world can you do this after everything we've been doing to try to help you? Why would you do this to your family? And she was just crying, and I I was angry, and it was not a, a good place. If I were to go back, I would just hug her and say, Oh, I'm so sorry that your heart is so dark and you don't see any hope. Um, but that my response was one of protection, and don't you dare do this to my dear daughter. Anyway, um, we survived that night, and for years— she wanted to die and had plans to die. In fact, we took her to another residential treatment center, total of five. We took her to a total of $150,000 out-of-pocket weekly therapy. And the, her therapist told me directly, she said, Lisa, your, your daughter might not ever be able to live a life outside of an institution. Her disorder is so bad. And I looked at ther- that therapist and I said, Emily, over my dead body, that is not a quality of life I will let my daughter have. Mm. And I fought with all my heart and all my strength and reading everything I could to make a life that my daughter could live and actually flourish. Well, when she turned 18, she decided to leave. She had just gotten out of another treatment center. She was leaving um, to go move in with her boyfriend who was a recovering drug addict. And she was going to move to New York, from Denver to New York. Did you know that at the time? Oh, absolutely. And we did everything we could to persuade her not to go. We, we told her we would pay for whatever else. That Just give it a year or two before she chooses to do that. We begged her with all that, with, with reason, with emotion, with love, with bribes, everything. And she was absolutely committed to go and stay with her boyfriend. And we knew when we saw her off and gave her a hug with tears and said goodbye, that there was a possibility that the New York Police Department would be calling us up, that they had found a body, and it was our daughter. Blessedly, that never happened. It does happen to some people, and it Mm. could have happened to us. Um, This this boyfriend ended up being good and helped her uh, eat and... But my husband knew that I was so, so frustrated with the system of care my daughter got that he just looked at me and said, you do whatever it takes to make this meaningful. So I decided to make a documentary for parents who have a child with anorexia. And um, I interviewed five different couples who had children with anorexia, and we put a, a documentary together. What we wish we had understood at the onset of our child's anorexia. We got it vetted at Stanford, and uh, it got sent out to all of Stanford's email, and it's now international and world in treatment centers uh, for parents to watch. I was even told that it's the one 
uh, resource. If they were to suggest any one resource to a family, it would be watching this 32-minute movie. What I realized was that my husband did not have time to read like I did. Mm-hmm. I read every day compulsively and obsessively to learn as much as I could. My husband was earning money every day and then came home to a family of six kids and responsibilities. He just didn't have time. But to have a a mom and a dad not unified in working with mental illness just is problematic. It's just going to make it so much more complicated. So I figured if I could do a movie that within 32 minutes we could get the mom and dad on the same table understanding what needs to happen, what is evidence-based, and how what skills they can use to help their child, then we could have a much better possibility of supporting the fam- the child to mental wellness. So that was my first documentary. After we made that one, I was told by many people that the problems I identified, that there's not evidence-based treatment, no guarantee that that's going to happen if you get therapists, even really highly um, respected places don't necessarily do evidence-based treatment. Even if you do get evidence-based treatment, you're not guaranteed guarantee that it's going to work for your child. And if you are not included in the therapy, the probability of your child's success is dramatically decreased. Hmm. So we made a second documentary called Going Sane, which basically identified the need to become a, a very wise consumer for you and your loved ones in regard to mental illness. You need to identify what is evidence-based and seek to find someone who does evidence-based treatment to protocol. After I did the Going Sane documentary, I thought I was done. And I went on a walk on the Highline Canal, which is close to my home, just thinking, I'm done. And I I thought, okay, no more documentaries. And uh, I was just walking, just smiling, like, I'm done. I, you know, use evidence-based treatment, get family involvement, make sure there's informed consent. I've changed the world. (laughs) And it hit me so powerfully that, no. Wow, that's not the answer. Wow. The answer is prevention. My daughter, after now 14 years of therapy, she has a lot of skills that she can use. But because she had 14 years of a brain that followed an eating disorder neural pathway, one of anxiety, one of self-loathing, one of questioning whether you can even make good choices in your own life, because of that neural pathway, it is still strong in her life today. Um, she has to battle constantly. I realize her life is much harder than a peer's life who has never had that eating mm-hmm. disorder. And so I started wondering, what would it take to truly prevent mental illness or at the least give skills to children so they can battle mental illness early on and not get it so entrenched in the brain? So I talked with Sue Klebold, the mother of Columbine shooter Dylan, and said, we need to use your story to do a documentary about prevention. And she said, you know, all the TV stations had asked for her story, and she told them all no, but they wanted it for entertainment. Right. We wanted it for the message. And thank you so much, Lisa, for, for taking us back and, and bringing us to, to where your work has taken you to today. But before we share a little bit more about the work that you did with Sue, um, I have a couple questions. Yes. So when your husband said, go out and make an impact, and then you said, all right, we're going to do a documentary. Why documentary? Like, how come that? And I know you mentioned that that your husband, he didn't have time to read like you did. And there are a lot of families that are in that type of uh, situation. 
And you, I'm imagining, I've never asked this question of you, you've never made documentaries before. No. Why film? Why documentaries? How come that was it for you? I think that's a great question. And it's, uh, the answer is simply, I wanted to use as much art as possible with writing and um, music and pictures so that I could have the greatest impact in the shortest amount of time. Mm-hmm. And documentaries seemed to fit. And because we had been in so many eating disorder centers and I'd met so many families, I had people I could talk with. And I just thought to get the mom and dad on the same table, this would be the most effective way and efficient way to communicate that. You had to teach yourself a lot of different skill sets. How, how did you go about becoming a documentary filmmaker? Like, did you even know where to start? Yeah, I had friends who were filmmakers, so I That's called helpful. them up. Yeah, and I said, what do I do? And they said, hey, we'll get you an editor, and she'll give you a discount because this is a good cause. Um, so Chelsea was my first editor, and um, I would just call her and say, what do I do next? And um, I got friends from my church, and we started making it, and it ended up just being phenomenally good. I, I We were all surprised at how well the person we asked to be the person with anorexia did. And the, we had the idea of the parent um, starting to take control. We ended up using uh, a ditch by my house, a High, Highline Canal ditch, uh, as representative of the eating disorder into the mud and the darkness. And then we had um, the father come and lift her up and bring her up onto the, uh, the pathway. Wow. And it represented the depth of the eating disorder that she needed help to get out. She couldn't do it on her own. Um, so I just asked lots of questions, had a lot of people who just helped. Um, and then my son uh, said, I want to work with you on it. So he's the main support with the Going Sane. And then he also directed and, and was the the main editor for, for American Tragedy, the one with Sue Klebold. So it's a family affair. It is a family affair with other, definitely more people. But, Absolutely. Um, because we have self-funded, we didn't have, most everybody on the team for American Tragedy did it because the message was so important to them. They had personal reasons to support. So we have, we even had a young man who was helping us with um, marketing and die by suicide during our production. And it became very personal that we need to communicate that if we want to truly make a change in people's lives, we go not just upstream a little bit, not to middle school, not to elementary school, but to birth to the OB's office before birth, that we start informing families that they actually can parent for mental wellness, that grandparents can nurture for mental wellness, that there are skills that built together will give a life, a child a better life. Well, thank you for that. And actually, this really sets the stage to talk about kind of what's going on currently with, with you and the team around American Tragedy. But as I said at the front end, um, I knew that I had to have you on this podcast and and, and this is the perfect time because uh, the episode right before you was with Dr. Benjamin Miller from Wellbeing Trust. I loved it. Thank you. Um, and the response was overwhelming from around the world. Um, and so I, I wanted to continue on this theme and, and to ensure that we're taking on a very big crisis in our country and we're not going to hold back any punches. And so... I kind of uh, accelerated having you on as a guest, given what we experienced with our last episode with Dr. Miller. So so with that, Lisa, thanks for, for kind of going back a bit, sharing that very um, intimate story of your family. Uh, let's talk a bit now about um, what's going on with your work, uh, what's happening with American Tragedy, a, a little bit more in depth as to why. 
and where where you see and envision this documentary taking our society. Maybe we'll start. Let, let's talk about how it got going. I know you mentioned just briefly about Sue, but maybe set the stage a little bit with American Tragedy. After we did Go Insane, our second documentary, I had several people. I had psychiatrists, social workers, psychologists, uh, school psychologists, parents of suicide um, loss, and uh, just parents of interest. We started to have a think tank at my home. And what would it take to truly prevent? That was our question. What would it take to truly develop mental wellness in children so that we have fewer mental illnesses? Now, we cannot get rid of all mental illnesses, um, genetics and environment. There's too many complicating factors, but we can develop mental wellness. So it was with this group that we came up with this concept of teaching parents in OB's offices and in pediatrician's offices that there are Skills that we can teach children that actually empower them to deal with stress, with failure, with anxiety, with relationships, and make their lives better because they have these skills. That mental wellness can be seen just like math. There are those things in mental wellness. There are basic ways to deal with anxiety. You can learn to focus on your breath. You can learn to name your emotions to tame, name it to tame it. You can learn to look in someone's eyes and plead for help, and the mirror neurons in the other person's eyes will help uh, comfort you. There are things you can learn. um, You can learn empathy. I have a daughter-in-law who, when one of her children um, hits a sibling, She doesn't just go and nurture the sibling, but she actually says, look in his eyes. Can you see he he feels sad that this happened? And she's building um, responsibility plus compassion. We can develop these things in one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds. In fact, if we realize the importance of those first five years, we would put most of our energy in those times, at those times, because the brain is 80% developed. The pattern of dealing with life is 80% developed by age three, 90% by age five, before they enter kindergarten. Wow. Now, we can't, we can't legislate homes. So we pretty much said, oh, let's make sure schools are doing suicide prevention or doing mental wellness. And let's make sure we have, you know, I loved uh, Ben Miller saying that Facebook is going to have an hour course for everybody across the nation. I love that. To me, we need to go beyond that also. We need to say, you know what? Let's empower parents for those first five years of life. The most formative Bar none, so much more formative than any other times. If we could teach children in those first five years to deal with stress, anxiety, failure, to develop empathy, to have relationships, we would have people who are more ready for kindergarten academically, but also more ready for social interaction. So we um, we also realize that people are incredibly busy and they don't realize what they don't realize. Mm -hmm. So most parents don't realize that they actually can parent for mental wellness. So where do, what, how can we teach them in a way that does not take time away from them or demand that they realize they need help? So we identified places where people are going to be anyway. Pediatricians' offices while you're waiting for the doctor. Um, at the OB's office while you're waiting for the doctor. Uh, we even had somebody say, how about at the nail polishing place where you're just waiting? Um, we could start inundating mental wellness across the nation um, where we'd give hope to parents that actually I can parent in a way that will give my child skills to deal with the hardships of life. If we could do that, we could transform society. 
Wow. What a story. And so, of course, uh, American Tragedy is being rolled out right now. I know actually uh, uh, in, in late October here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation right. campus in Denver, we're going to have some pre-screening. And I know you've started some pre-screening as well. Talk about where you're currently at with the documentary. I know we mentioned uh, in, in some of our previous conversation, it's already getting good attention on the documentary. Maybe share a little bit with the audience what's going on w- w- right. with the film. Thank you for the national um premiere of American Tragedy is September 19th in Boston. It is the opening movie for the Boston Film Festival. Wow. It is in the position that Green Book was last year, and Green Book won the Academy Award. Um, We are very appreciative of them choosing us to start the film festival. I believe the movie is timely, and it deals with mass murder, a, a school shooter. It deals with suicide, but most importantly, it deals with hope that yes, these things could happen. And what Sue says at one point in the movie is, I taught my child dental hygiene. I taught my child financial responsibility. I even taught my child to be Larry of rattlesnakes and what to do. Hmm. I never taught my child brain fitness. I didn't know I could. And that is my greatest regret. But the reality is we can. We can teach our children skills. And, and these are some of the things through this program that, and initiatives that you guys are working on to teach uh, parents around our country and around the world. Yes, and yes. Commendable work. So as we wind down the time together here, Lisa, I always want to make sure that our community is involved. The folks that tune into this podcast are leaders and pioneers in their own right around the world. And that's one thing I want to do with this podcast is continue to build community and have those leaders continue to support you and your mission. Can you share with our listening community one problem, need, or question and how they can help with it? Absolutely. Right now, our mental health paradigm is based on mental illness and centered on therapy. That is problematic in every point. That is the problem. Here's the question. How can we make the dramatic shift to a paradigm that is based on mental wellness and centered on families. Wow. Great question. We will be sure to have uh, an opportunity for our, our community to submit some of their feedback, and we'll get that to you directly. Thank you. A great question to, to think through. Um, Also, can you share with the community some actionable items that they can implement in their own lives and and where they can find some of those resources to do that within their own lives and their own families? So we have two different web pages. One is americantragedymovie.com, and that'll give information about watching this movie. I I wish, and I've been told by many people who have seen the movie, that every parent watch it. It makes you realize that, yes, I need to learn mental wellness skills and I need to teach them. So that's americantragedymovie.com. The second is committobrainfit.com. This is a webpage that we are developing for parents, but also for educators and, and employers and insurance to realize that there are skills that you can learn that are simple, and you can sign up for weekly emails that will give you one concept and one behavior to do each week that will help your child with mental wellness. That's fantastic. We'll also leave those links in the episode notes for our listeners to be able to access those, those websites as well. Okay, Lisa, it's time to take the podcast home. Please complete this sentence for our listening community. I'm a passionate pioneer because... I believe families want to help their children and that they can with mental wellness, but they need to be educated and motivated. Lisa, 
thank you so much for spending time with, with me here today and with our community across the globe. Your work is needed now more than ever. I applaud you. I salute you and will continue to help your mission. Thank you. And thank you for all that you're doing and bringing so many passionate pioneers together. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.